You know the saying, so many books, so little time, and may claim it as an adage that applies to you, as I certainly do. But if we use our time well, a discipline in itself, and one to strive for, we can delve into more books, drawing more lessons and inspiration that applies to our inner lives and the public witness we give to that interior formation, even lessons drawn from children's books. I'm Sheila Lagminas. You're in the Forum. Each holiday season, new books come out for the children in your home and family and the child in all of us about the simple but stunning truths of the first Christmas and, as some say, the reason for the season. My guest is the author of several and a new one this season. Anthony Stefano is here. He's best-selling author of 20 Christian books for adults and children, including A Travel Guide to Heaven, 10 Prayers God Always Says Yes to, The Donkey No One Could Ride, and Little Star, among others, He's hosted two TV series on EWTN. His books have been endorsed by the National Day of Prayer Committee, among other sorts of recognition in media and ministries. And we're talking about his newest one this year uh, for this Christmas season. Anthony, welcome to the program. I'm so eager to talk with you about this book about the grumpy old ox. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sheila. It's an honor to be with you today. Thank you for writing this. I love your books. I was reading. I, I told you before we we started recording that uh, I've been looking at one of your one of your former ones. The seed who was afraid to be planted. I learned something from all of these, Anthony. And I no, no longer have little boys; they're grown up. But um, I love as a show host, I get to talk with authors of these books and go through this and, and talk about that, about the fact that when we as adults, it could be parents, it could be grandparents, it could be any generation reading these kinds of books also in their heart. Is it that they become, we become children again? I know that the best children's books are the ones that appeal to adults too. The very, very best, the classic fairy tales, for instance, mm -hmm. Pinocchio, etc. They appeal to adults just as much as they appeal to children because, uh, you know, on one level, they're very simple. They're very entertaining. Children can understand the general message, the basic message. But then if they're really good books, they are layered. They have deeper meaning, more profound mm -hmm. meaning. You know, in that way, they're sort of like parables from uh, the scripture. You know, mm -hmm. uh, when Jesus spoke in the New Testament, you know, anyone could understand him, the simplest children, the simple fi fishermen. But at the same time, we know that, you know, the most intelligent people who have ever lived, like Thomas Aquinas and others, have found extraordinary depths in those uh, words. So I think that, not that I'm comparing anything that I've ever written to scripture, but mm -hmm. that's always the goal. That's always the aim, to write something for children that also has deeper meaning for adults. Well, the one you've written now that comes out perfectly for this Christmas season is The Grumpy Old Ox. And I love the story because he's a very prideful old ox. And, and you write him in the beginning as mean-spirited and full of pride. And he's lost his sight. And, and, you, and you note, I mean, it comes out in the narrative, both physically his sight, but spiritually as well. And so he goes off and he's prideful. And, and then, of course, we know, we all know the Holy Family at the end, that story. But he finds himself there 
and he finds himself in the midst of God's grace. What made you consider Anthony a grumpy old ox for the main character of this story? Well, you know, I'm always on the lookout for animals in the Bible that could make for good children's stories. Uh, So when I read scripture, my antenna is always up. And I have read uh, in the book of Isaiah, there's a, a quote uh, that the ox knows its master, the donkey, its owner's manger, but, but my people do not understand something to that effect. And, uh, and, I, and of course, whenever you have the nativity scene at Christmas time under the Christmas tree, there's always an ox present. And uh, I've written about a donkey already, and, I'm, and I'll be writing about a donkey again next year. So I just thought, you know, it, it would be nice to, uh, this, the, an ox is underutilized, first of all. There aren't many... <laughs> children's books about oxes because they're so big and and in some ways uh brute brutish looking and ugly but i thought wouldn't that be wonderful to write a book about a character who was grumpy who did have a sort of physical ugliness at the beginning and that that would be a sign of of his uh, spiritual uh pride and anger etc and, uh, you know, people have told me, you know, why would why you've always written about these cute characters like donkeys and sheep. Why such a mean, grumpy character? Don't you think that children won't like that? But I think that they that they will like that, because, first of all, there are you know, gr- children are grumpy themselves, so they can relate <laughs> to grumpy characters and 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 uh, grumpy characters can be endearing, like Oscar the Grouch on Sesame Street. But most of all, what comes to mind is uh, Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. You know, there was a there was the most famous character in, in Christmas literature who was also grumpy and mean and cold. But underneath, you know, he really wasn't that way. Underneath, he was a wounded soul and he was actually quite a good person and generous. And that's why the, the transformation that occurs at the end of Charles Dickens' story, Christmas Carol, is so heartwarming because people see the real, the real Scrooge come out. And I hope that in the same way, uh, children could see through the exterior of this grumpy old ox and realize that underneath he's he's really a good ox. And at the end, when he experiences uh, a miracle due to, due, due to the grace of God, that it also might be uh, heartwarming. You know, Anthony, listening to you explain that really reminds me of uh, what a year 2020 has been, what's gone on this year, the long, hot summer of, you know, anger and tensions, the political divides over the elections and so forth. Why does that come to mind when listening to you right now? Because when you say that, you know, the grumpiness is, is one thing, but I know I have heard, as many people listening to us have heard, uh, a number, a lot of homilies in my own church and you know, watching, uh, participating in television masses back when we didn't even have the ability to go to church, reading things online written by, you know, priests and spiritual, just spirituality uh, about right now, this year in culture and politics, not to look at the other, uh, if they're on the other side of your political ideology or your, you know, in, in how you're informed by your faith and they're not maybe, uh, not to look at people that way. And when you talk about this, it's your your grumpy old ox is such a representative of that not to look at the outside at the exterior and this brings to life those homilies i've heard about not judging the other by how they look by how they act and he's grumpy so there's that and you know so not judging him for that and he himself is is so not uppity, but just grouchy and full of pride, as you say Scrooge was, before his eyes were opened 
in that Christmas Carol. What a good analogy for the grumpy old ox in your book. And, and early on, it's he says, I'm all by myself, the grumpy ox side. The reason for that is I'm so full of pride, but this little babe, so humble and poor in the inn, in the manger, is guiltless and precious and perfect and pure. I love this. So this seems to be, you know, a metaphor in your book for kind of life out there in this year. Well, I guess it could be read that way. You know, so many important things are happening, Sheila, and I wouldn't want to say uh, oversimplify things too much because, mm -hmm. you know, we, you know, there really is good and there really is evil mm -hmm. and there really is a battle of good versus evil. And we are in the middle of a crazy time in which it wouldn't be too uh, melodramatic to say there's some sort of a, a war, a culture war of, of, you know, over ideology and religion and economics and morality and even our own history. And so you, you want to, you want to make sure that you're, as a Christian, let's say, fighting on the right side of that divide. Uh, but, but yes, you're, you're, you're very right in that on, on, the, on the bottom of all of that, uh, there is this, this, this battle between pride and humility. And, and, you know, pride is the worst of all the sins because, and, and, I, and some, people, some people will say to me sometimes, yeah, but, you know, there are, aren't there good prides? You know, I mean, uh, does pride always have to be bad? And the answer is no, you can have, you know, pride in your children. You could have mm -hmm. pride in, in your accomplishments, the, you know, pride that you've, you, you've achieved something. That's a good pride. But when we talk about bad pride, we mean the Greek word hubris, which, which means that you think you're better than other people. You know, you think that, you know, that's the, that's the sin of Satan. You know, he said, I'll, I'll raise my throne above the stars and be like God, you know, wanting to be God. And that kind of sin always leads to bad things. It always leads to anger. You know why? Because if you're prideful and you think that, that you're better than everybody, then you always feel that your rights are being offended. Your, mm -hmm. your rights are always being offended. So you're always angry. And when you're angry, you're, you're going to be, uh, you're gonna be um, alienated because who wants to hang around with a person like that? So you're going to be lonely. So pride always leads to isolation, alienation, and misery. And, and, and what happens in this book is that the antidote to that kind of pride is, is presented to this ox. The ox is grumpy and mean and prideful, and, 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 but what does he see right in the stable? He sees the model of humility. He sees the baby Jesus, and what does that represent? I mean, God, the, 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 you know, the father emptying himself and becoming a, a little baby. I mean, there's nothing more humble than that, this model of purity. And yes, the ox has an insight, you know, what you just said, you know, he realizes that he's miserable and unhappy because he's prideful. And yet this little innocent babe who's humble is worshiped by these kings and, and the, the stable is just, he's surrounded by warmth and love. And it's that insight uh, that leads uh, to his, you know, his salvation really and, and the miracle of the restoration of his sight. So that can be applied to everyone. It can't. Well, of course it can. And we all should be able to see ourselves as we should look into this in, in, in interior message and look at ourselves first before we look at others like, oh, this applies to that person. Well, how about ourselves? Because it's, it's just there's so, as you say, layers. The, any really good story has, as you say, many layers, deeper meanings, profound meanings, just like the parables. And there are many in the, the, the simple seeming children's book that's what, 30, uh, some 36 pages, 
3236 with its beautiful illustrations. And it's the simple, the power of humility really exudes, of course, out of the book, but also because uh, out of, you know, the, the incarnation, the child born in the manger, the Christ the King we just celebrated, and, and, and that's who is born in, in the manger. So I, I love that there are so many layers to this. And Anthony, going back to the Christmas Carol and Scrooge being uh, a slave of his own anger in your materials, I saw that and I thought, you know, that's really a good, that's well put. A slave to his own anger. How many people can, can own that? And crippled by his own coldness and seemingly destined to live out his days frustrated, unhappy and, unhappy and alone until this, this ox, just like Scrooge, makes a life-altering decision of faith that brings him the miraculous gift of healing and joy. I wanted to ask you about that when he makes the, that, see right, that right there is a teaching um, moment in the book among so many others, that there's a life altering decision, decision meaning it's our choice. How are we going to handle this? What are we going to do when we have the encounter as the, the grumpy old ox has the encounter? That was intentional on your part, wasn't it? Yes, because faith, true faith always leads to action. Um, and this isn't a Catholic Protestant dispute. This is something that all of us can agree on. Faith is never, when we speak about it as Christians, it's never just an up and down, um, you know, yes or no, does God exist? Uh, because, I mean, after all, the devil believes in God. He has faith in God. Uh, you know, the demons believe in God. Uh, there are people on earth right now who believe in God. They just hate him. So true faith is more than just belief in God's existence. True faith always means a turning to God and away from sin. And in turning to God, orienting yourself to the good, you always want to do something good. You want to move towards the good. You know, the truth and goodness and light are all, this, are all one. God is one. So yes, he makes a decision to to try to be better, to try not to be as prideful. And that manifests itself in an action of his, which is to try to help the child. Uh, he notices that the, the, uh, the child is just born. So he brings over his pail of water for Mary to wash the baby in. He drags over his manger so that the baby can lie in the manger. And by the way, Sheila, that's the other big, um, you know, uns unspoken message in this book. This book is is all about the bread of life. You know, you know, Bethlehem, people don't realize that the, the nativity story is shot through with Eucharistic imagery. Um, you know, the name Bethlehem, the name Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. You know, people don't know that, house of bread. And a manger uh, in Italian means, you know, mangiare, means to eat. And it's where stable animals eat their food out of. So here it is, you have, Jesus, who is the bread of life, and he's born in a town called House of Bread, and he's born in a manger where, where stable animals eat their food. That's no accident. You know, God is trying to tell us that, 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 that Jesus is the, the bread of life, and whoever eats this bread, you know, will never be hungry. You know, that's, that's, and, that, and I wanted that message to come through, um, you know, certainly not maybe to the children right away, but to the adults reading the book. And then later on, when children learn about, uh, you know, the gospel of John and Jesus being the bread of life, it will be a little bit more familiar to them, hopefully. 
So to follow up on that, there's something else in here. There's a lot in here. But, but the fact that late in, in the story, not to give too much away about the grumpy old ox, but you know from what Anthony Stefano and I are talking about what happens here. And after all, it is the birth of Jesus in the manger in, in, in the stable. And the grumpy old ox, of course, is prideful and, and blind and all that. And by the end, he's delight, delighted and delightful. And, and, and he's, he had been eating, and you're talking, Anthony, about the importance of that being a manger where, you know, animals derived their nourishment from eating and that, you know, the bread of life. That, that right there is a, a, a powerful message to talk to children about and learn ourselves in going back through this, this story, this Christmas story. Another thing that's very important in this story that allows us another layer, Anthony, is, is the, 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 ox's drinking of water if, if you don't mind my bringing that up in the book and and he's drinking water and, and he says you know i drank of the water and now i feel free you know at last i can see and so i, I thought right away there's there's an illusion or a reference to give me the, of this water to drink says the woman at the well that's a, another important element of this story isn't it it is. Uh, Jesus is the source of living water. And whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. Uh, just as Jesus offered it to the woman at the well, that living water is a, is source, is, is a source of life through the Holy Spirit. And also is a symbol of, of a, there's a baptismal imagery that I'm trying to put there as well. So living water, the Holy Spirit, baptism, all those images are there. Uh, the ch children will not get those meanings explicitly quick, uh, very quickly. But again, my goal is that one of the goals I have is that as they grow older and they read scripture and they learn their catechism and they learn about Jesus, that when they run into these concepts a little bit later on, they will already be familiar with those concepts from, from things that made impressions on them when they were children, mm -hmm. from books. And that will make it easier for them to interiorize and accept these truths. Well, it's beautiful. And, and, and it's easier uh, for them to, to learn to accept these truths later on when they read themselves or they're read to or you share in that process as, as parents, as grandparents and you know, teachers in classrooms, if you, if you can do it that way. It's just a wonderful book, The Grumpy Old Ox. And it's a wonderful Christmas gift, maybe early, and start reading this story and talking about the lessons in it. Anthony Stefano has written many. This is the one for this Christmas that's so perfect for the season. And Anthony, I've really enjoyed reading the book and talking with you about it. Thank you for writing it. And thank you well, for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you have me back again. Oh, I will. I, I love talking with you about your books. So we'll do that again. And meanwhile, ha happy and blessed holidays to you and yours. Same to you and your listeners. See how much we can learn in all the places and ways truth, goodness, charity, and joy are embedded in stories we encounter? I'll talk with another such author soon, and look forward to that. It's good to be with you. Please share the link and ask others to join us here in the forum.